Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Hey everybody, and welcome again to another show here on the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. That sounded kind of boring, but it's not. I'm excited today. I'm really excited, and, and I was mulling over some things this morning, just thinking about how I always intro this podcast by saying, Welcome. I'm so excited for this episode today. So excited to have you here. And it might get monotonous to you, maybe. Hopefully you learn something new every show. But I got to tell you, I enjoy this. And I enjoy that I get to bring this to you every week. And and I enjoy that I get to help people with their lighting. And really, everything about this website that I get to do is is really um, a great joy. It's, It's hard at times. It's a lot of work. But it's such a joy as well. So I'm really glad that I can help you guys with that. And today is is no exception at all because we're going to be talking about what is dynamic range in stage lighting. And I'm really excited to share with you some things that I've learned over the year, how I came to a, a eureka moment about this and how it really changed my lighting forever. So hang on for the main segment in just a few minutes. Now, Let's talk about the show. So if you do like this show, go over to learnstagelighting.com slash iTunes, and you'll be directed to either the iTunes or the Stitcher store. Click on one of them, and you can go ahead and leave a review. And what I'd just love you to do is if you learned something today or on another show, just go ahead and write that in the review box. Type out, hey, I learned this and it was helpful to me. And then, of course, give a rating that you find appropriate. Do you you feel like this is a five-star show? Give it five stars. If less, you know, um, I hope that I can earn that five stars from you sometime soon. But I love to see those reviews. I love to share them here on the show. And um, I would love to hear from you in that way. Just be able to hear your feedback and make this show everything that, that you would like it to be. So... With that, guys, remember, learnstagelighting.com slash iTunes. And now let's dive in to some lighting news. All right, today in lighting news, I've got a, a kind of new product spotlight, something I saw that came out. And uh, that's from Chave, the Intimidator Spot 260. It's a new guy. And uh, thankfully, it came out last week. I read about it, and I wasn't able to find any pricing on it, but... Now, uh, today when I'm recording this podcast, I'm able to see that it is $5.99 is the uh, online price, usually referred to as the minimum advertised price. And uh, what the Intimidator Spot 260 is, for those who aren't familiar, is this is um, a small LED moving head for DJs or bands or even churches. Um, I, I, I must say, though, that the fans in the Intimidator Spots in that series tend to be a little bit loud. Um, they're not as quiet as the professional end series. And, and if you're handy, you can replace those. Of course, it's it's going to void your warranty, so do keep that in mind. Um, but for people who do shows in rooms where there's a decent volume, you know, where where it's a DJing or a band situation, you know, or the light is, is pretty far from people, then these can be, you know, a really good option. Like if the light's on the back of the stage, you know, because they the Intimidator spots in general, and I haven't seen this one in person yet, um, you know, give you the ability to to get a cool moving light for a really inexpensive price. So I just wanted to highlight that. This one, um, basically they had a 255 before and this is the 260 and it looks really familiar. It's got a 75 watt LED, so that's pretty cool. It should be pretty bright. It's got a prism in it. And and what's cool about that is um, 
as well as motorized focus. Um, I'm watching the video right now as I'm talking to you. But what's cool about the prism is that it's kind of like having a zoom function, right? So it puts an actual prism in the light, and so it scatters it. If you have a gobo or something, it kind of splits it into three. And so it allows you to kind of, whether you're in haze or not haze lighting, you know, straight to a, a backdrop or a wall, it, it doesn't matter. But you're able to go in there, and you're able to, to have it fairly narrow, and then also pop in that prism and get a wider beam out of it. So you kind of have those two options there without having the, the expense of an actual motorized zoom. And so that's why I wanted to highlight this guy. You know, the 255, it's a good unit. And it's one that I've used, one that I've recommended to people. It's, it's a good unit. And the 260 looks like they're just improving on that. Um, and I can't wait to get my hands on it soon and, and, and check it out to be able to share it with you guys because ultimately, um, you know, I want to be your advocate as I, as I talk to manufacturers and people like that. I want to say, okay, you know, this is what works. This is what doesn't. I like this light a lot. And, and as always, you know, um, I, I do work with different manufacturers from time to time. Chave is one that I've never actually, you know, worked for. But regardless of whether I work for a manufacturer or not, um, my goal here is to represent you, the community, um, more than any manufacturer's agenda. And so I'm going to tell you what I like about things, what I don't like, and whether you should buy them. And this looks like a good light. Also, it's got a PowerCon input and outputs, which is huge. Um, that's something I like to see on these lower-end units. Um, allows you to, to really set up more efficiently. So, guys, with that, I'm really excited to dive into the main segment today, talking about dynamic range. And then after that, we've got a good-sized mailbag segment, too. So hang on for all of that in today's show. Dynamic range. So when I say dynamic range, what do you think of? When I first hear it, I actually think about two things. I think about audio and video or, or photography. In audio, dynamic range is the difference between the, um, you know, the softest part of an audio recording and the loudest part, right? I think that's what it is. Um, I'm not a, necessarily a pro audio guy, though. I'm not bad. Um, but And then in video or photography... Dynamic range is the difference between the darkest part of an image and the brightest part. And in lighting, it's a very similar thing. And so this is something that isn't, you know, talked about traditionally in lighting, but it's something that I think, you know, more modern teachers and myself have, have grabbed a hold of as a really great concept to help you in your lighting show. So what does it matter whether you're lighting a show, a church service, a corporate event, a band, doesn't matter. But when we're dynamic with our lighting, when we're using different levels of brightness and darkness, it's going to make our lighting seem powerful. And you may have heard me talk about this before. I talk about this from time to time in different places, whether inside learning stage lighting labs, inside a special video series on a webinar, all kinds of places I talk about this. And, uh, you know, what I like to say about dynamic range is turn off the lights sometimes. Not all the lights, but a lot of them. And, you know, think about it this way. Have you ever been to a massive concert, maybe U2 or something like that, you know, just where there's a massive, awe-inspiring rig, maybe a country show, I don't know, you know, any genre of music. There's a massive, massive rig. And then there's a song somewhere in that set, there probably is, where the band quiets down, things simplify, Maybe only a couple people play. And for that song, the lighting designer may only use one or two lights. Or he may not move the lights at all. 
And while that's impactful, while that's cool, while that's good, more than that, it gives you a break from the busyness, from the action, from the amount of light that's usually there on your stage, and helps you to be refreshed so that when that big amount of light comes back, it's it's actually, you know, a really big deal. It's actually impactful again. And so you might say to yourself, well, David, you know, I've only got four lights. I've only got 10 lights. I've only got, you know, you know, two lights. You're talking about big shows here. You're talking about shows that you like, blah, 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 blah. I don't have those kind of resources. You know, this, this doesn't work for me. Well, actually it does because the thing that I like about dynamic range is it's, it's really just, it's not mathematical. It's not complicated, but it's really just a, a mindset shift to help you be able to best work things out in your situation. What do I mean by that? Well, so say you've got four lights, you know, take a part of the show and only light it with one light. You know, that's a quarter of the amount. And then maybe for most of the show, you run all four lights. But maybe for the most part, you run them, you know, maybe you start your show off, this is just an example, at 50%, okay? You start them off at 50%. And then you go ahead and a big song comes along. You know, you bring them up to full for that song and you use them at full for most of the song. Then you bring them back down again. The impact of that big song of, of what the band's trying to do or the, the worship team or whatever, you know, you happen to be lighting for, you know, is really, really, really impacted. They're, they, what they're trying to do really comes across well because you took the time as the lighting designer to match what they're doing on the stage. And so this isn't anything super extraordinary and it's not complex. It's just something that you need to be intentional about when you're lighting, no matter what size of your lighting rig, okay? So the, the main point is, like I, I kind of led with, is turn your lights off sometimes, okay? Not every light needs to be on during every song. Do songs where you only use half of the lights, where you only use three quarters, where you only use one quarter of your lights, where you only use a couple lights. And pay attention to the impact that that makes on the stage. Because it may seem subtle, but, you know, turning some things off is can really be a powerful thing. So uh, what, what are the nuts and bolts of this? Let's transition to kind of a second part of this, okay? So... The nuts and bolts of this, you know, how do you make it happen in your situation? Well, it's going to be different on every console, but what you want to look for in your particular console or control situation is, do you have a way that you can control the intensity of different lights separate from your overall looks, okay? So you've got different looks for different songs, you know, you may have different looks for different colors, whatever. And I always recommend when people are programming, record every light into, into every look for a typical, you know, setup. Again, and, and, you know, there's different types of shows and, and, and they all have different needs. But just for, you know, different types of setups, I like to recommend, you know, record color for every light in every scene for every song, okay? So that you have it. Then use some intensity faders or maybe inhibitive faders. Again, it, it's going to depend on your console and exactly how you're doing things. And use that Use those faders to then subtract from the look on stage. You know, bring down the intensity, turn off certain lights. And then those lights, you don't have to make a whole other set of cues. You know, say you, you made a set of cues, color combinations on the back light, color combinations on the front light, color combinations on the side lights. Well, that would get really complex really fast. Um, 
and you don't want to do that, right? But what you do want to do is you want to just program everything into those main color scenes, gobo scenes, whatever, and then go ahead and um, and just turn some lights off either manually or, you know, as you're writing cues, if it's for a band or, or what it may be, you know, just be thinking of that, be mindful of that and begin working to uh, really, you know, turn that off, etc. turn some lights off. And, and that's really going to help you in your show. So this isn't complex. It's not complicated. In fact, in just about seven minutes, I've, I've kind of explained the concept to you. But it's one of those things in your lighting that when you start doing this, when you start working with dynamic range and, and using it to, to, to make your show look really awesome, you're going to notice the difference. The people that hire you or, or um, you know, that you volunteer for or whatever are going to notice the difference. And you're going to be a better lighting person for it. All right. So with that, guys, a few nuts and bolts, just a few things to kind of wrap up here. If you're interested in, in learning more about running your show live and on the fly, Inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, there's a number of action plans that'll help with that. And I'm going to have a link inside the show notes where you can find more information about Learn Stage Lighting Labs. It's a private membership community where people join and gain access to me and also a variety of resources to help them with their lighting. Okay, there's one in there called Puntastical that I talk about a lot about running your lights live and on the fly. But there's a variety of others as well that will apply here too. Also, there's some action plans on using different consoles and, and inside of Puntastical, as well as the console action plans, I show you how to set up the consoles for different types of shows. So be sure to check that out, you know, get some more information and uh, pay attention to what, what we're doing there at Learn Stage Lighting Labs. And so with that, guys, um, let's dive into our mailbag and, and help some people out today. All right, guys, and the typing sound on the keyboard means it's time for the mailbag. This is where people dive in at learnstagelighting.com slash contact. They fill out that form, answer their questions about lighting, and then I get to them uh, within a few weeks. I try to get to them here on the show. And today's no exception to that. I've actually emptied my mailbox today. I've put all the questions that I currently had in there um, that were, you know, podcast worthy. Um, some of them just uh, don't always make sense to air on the podcast, and I just do a quick reply. But Orange Stage uh, Lighting Mailbag right here is here to answer your questions. And again, you know, if you do want to go into more detail, get those step-by-step -step action plans and guides to making great lighting, plus my personalized assistance in the forums, be sure to check out the link in the show notes to learn Stage Lighting Labs and how to get more information and how to join. So Darren writes in and uh, said, we are going from fluorescent to LED house lights at our church. The switches are on the ball wall i'm guessing he means the back wall of the sanctuary is there a system we can use to control these lights without having to rewire if so can they be dimmable all right darren so there's a lot going on here okay <laughs> there is so we gotta unpack this okay and i'm gonna unpack this quickly here on the podcast but i'm gonna give you a lot of information and a lot of things to look up because i don't have a ton of information from you um i'm gonna make a few assumptions, but also just kind of explain the different things you might be running into. So the first thing is you're switching from fluorescent to LED. So that means either the fixture is being completely changed out, meaning the fluorescent ballast and the sockets and everything is being pulled out and some LED fixtures maybe are being hung or something like that. Okay, let's assume that's the case. Or maybe 
you're using a compact fluorescent bulb in a in like a regular downlighting can, you know, just with a regular base, you know, just a regular screw and socket like you would a typical, you know, house lighting bulb. And, you know, just like in your house, um, and you're putting LED bulbs in there. You know, actually just the other week I did that at a room at my church um, that had some some downlights and, you know, some of them were starting to go out. I was like, guys, let's let's get some LEDs. And we did, you know, simple. But so now is there a system we can use to control these lights without having to rewire? Well, Darren, it's really going to depend on what you've got. OK, so there's a few things at play here. One, your LED light needs to be dimmable and it needs to be dimmable by a dimmer. OK, and so I'm hoping, 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 hoping that either you've bought this already and you bought the right thing, you bought something that's dimmable, or you haven't purchased yet. Um, and you can listen to this advice and, and enact it or else someone else can when they listen. Because the LED lights that you, you know, whether it's a standalone fixture or a bulb or something like that, it needs to be dimmable and it needs to be designed to dim, you know, from a commercial dimmer, which is a little bit different from, you know, a household wall dimmer. Okay. You know, GE, I know, makes some good ones. Um, you know, this is really not an area that I'm expert in expert in with specific products. You'd want to talk to a local uh, systems integrator in your area if you have one or you can find one um, because you can put LED bulbs in an incandescent fixture. And if they're dimmable, then you can use a regular, you know, kind of lighting style dimmer to control them and dim them. Okay. You can get, you know, an ETC rack or you can get um a uh, oh what's that brand electronics you know leprechaun there's a bunch of names out there leviton of people that make dmx dimmers that you can use to control those led house light bulbs now this is generally an imperfect um scenario because the dimmer has to come on a little before the lights get enough power to come on and so usually you know if you dim all the way down to zero it's not going to be the smoothest dim ever. Now, the new ones have gotten a lot better, and it's it's not bad. You know, the, the dimming curve to off is not bad. Or if you don't think you'll be turning them off much, you know, you just go from full to 50 to full, and you only turn them off, you know, at the end of the day when you first walk in, then, then maybe that's not a concern, you know? So that's one option. Uh, the other option is to actually get an LED fixture, and you said you didn't want to rewire, so um, this is off the case, off the, this is, going off the train here is if you do want something that can go to zero you'll need to get a fixture that's remote dimmable by dmx that um can go ahead and um you know then be wired in um you could go with kind of a wireless dmx system um to these lights there's people that make those too um i don't know if i'd recommend it, it, it you, i could recommend wireless dmx to you if you you have good control over your wi-fi networks and you know what's going on there um and it often works, but, but, you know, basically it's really going to depend on your fixture. You can get some DMX based LED house light fixtures that you can then hang in place and run DMX to, or do some kind of wireless DMX option, you know, or you can use something that's dimmable off of a standard dimmer, get that dimmer in there, dim them down using that method. Um, either of these methods, you'll want to talk to a, uh, a stage lighting, you know, somebody who's an integrator, an AV integrator, a stage lighting integrator, somebody like that in your area, because they're going to really be able to help you out. They're either going to be an electrician or they can bring in the electrician to do the change so that you're able to get that DMX, that remote control of those lights, um, etc. So I hope that helps Darren. Joe writes in, 
and says, I'm looking for examples of concert photos with backlighting and silhouettes and tips on how I can get such shots. Okay, so Joe, um, you know, I don't keep a library of photos around for sure. Um, I'm sure there's some on my site somewhere, um, but I'm just going to go. This is kind of a two-part question, so I don't keep, I don't keep a, um, a library. But you know what I did, Joe? I just took, I copied and pasted out of your, your question here, concert photos with backlighting and silhouettes. And I went to Google Images and I typed that in, okay? And I see tons of those pictures. Now let's talk about the, photo, the photography side. Now I'm not a professional photographer, but I do know a good bit about photography. And so what you see when you pull this up, you know, is basically the person is backlit. There's bright white or color behind them but they're in black. You can't see the person. And so this is all about exposure. Okay, Joe, this is all about in the um, photography, being able to make it so that the person is blacked out in front, but the light in the back is exposed correctly. So how do you do that? Well, the easiest way to do this and the way that it most often happens is that, you know, they're literally Joe isn't any light or much light on the subject, on the person, okay? There's not much light on the person, and then there's a lot of light from behind. And then the difference between those two makes it so that they look blacked out in the photo. The other way you can do this is if you have a really bright backlight, even if there's some light on the person, you can dial in your exposure, and you're going to have to do this manually and take a couple test shots and be able to get that person all the way to pitch black you know, where you can't see them and still have light coming from behind um, and exposed. So it, it really, you know, generally takes having the person fairly dark compared to their background. But more than that, it's about getting the exposure settings right in your camera. So you want to be using manual exposure when you do this. If you don't know how to do that, um, look it up online. There's a lot of tutorials out there. But this is more of a camera question than a lighting question, I would say. And uh, that is how you do it. All right. So Shiva writes in. Next question and says, I like your stuff about lighting. Um, there's not a lot of tutorials out there, so thank you, David. Um, you're welcome, Shiva. He wants to control LEDs using Mad Mapper, but don't know but doesn't know where to start or what hardware to buy. Um, seems like Entech hardware is the best suitable hardware. Um, you want to control um some LED strips with Mad Mappers and know how much it's gonna cost. Okay, Shiva. So here's what you need to know. The first thing is you're looking at pixel tape okay you want to use pixels and be able to have individual pixel control of these these little different pixels um, on a tape individual pixels something like that okay and so there's a couple things at play here the first thing we'll start backwards is the pixels you need some kind of pixel um, didn't really matter to me what you use in fact i'm going to link to a post on learn stage lighting that goes into detail and then there's even more information um, on inside of Lauren Stage Lighting Labs, there's an action plan called Custom LED Design 101, which has all this info in it, plus more, plus the how-to. But I want to answer your question here because there's a lot of information that goes on here. So you need an LED tape or some kind of pixel, okay? It's going to talk a certain protocol, okay? And that protocol is then going to be driven by your LED driver. Okay, and your LED driver is what you're probably going to get from Entech. You may get your tape from them as well, 
you know, you and the way that NTech likes to describe it, and I really like the way that the folks there describe it, is, you know, they make great tape and it's architectural grade, but if you want, cheap out on the tape because it's better, you know, your final product's going to be better if you cheap out on the tape than if you cheap out on the control devices, okay, on the boxes. So then you need a box, okay, which is a pixel driver. And what it does is it converts from your lighting console or from Mad Mapper or from NTEX ELM software. And it allows you to go ahead and um, really be able to map that stuff and, and, and do it from a hardware side of things. So we'll get to the software in a minute, but it, it, it goes from your software, your software talks and the box listens and converts, and we're going to have a podcast that goes deep into this in a few uh, episodes, but it converts that signal, that ArtNet or SACN or DMX, into the protocols that the pixels want to talk to, like APA 101 or WS2812. You know, there's different protocols, and you got to make sure that your pixels, the protocol they talk, the box can do. The NTEC boxes can do a lot, and they're way easier to configure than other people. So let's just say, you know, you're not, you don't know how many pixels you want to do. That's the tough part here. But let's just say 25 to 30 LED strips. So let's do 30 LED strips. We'll do 30 pixels per meter. Okay. And let's say each strip that you're doing is three meters. So that's 90 pixels times 30. Okay. Wow. I didn't even realize that was going to work out. So that's about 2,700 pixels. Okay. So 2,700. Let me just do some quick math here. Divide that by eight. Okay, cool. So, so that's about 2,700 pixels there about. I'm using rough numbers here. Again, you'll, you'll do this math on your end as well, Shiva. But regardless, um, what you want to do is get something like Entex Pixelator, okay? And what a Pixelator is, is you buy two parts. You buy the Pixelator, and they've got a Pixelator Mini, actually, that is barely within the size of your project. It, it'll work for what you're doing. And that takes the, the information from the lighting console, and spits out something the pixels can use. Then once you get something the pixels can use with a lot of these boxes, uh, you're gonna have to put the box right at the end of the LED strip. But NTEX splits the two, and there's some other people that do it too, but but NTEX is the really the easiest to use, and it's high quality, it's well warranted, and you get support. So I don't think you can argue with that. But they, um, they, you can go ahead, so you've got your Pixelator Mini, and then you've got what's called a P-Link injector. Those two, are connected by CAT6, and then the P-Link injector has a power supply that you put at the end of the, the at the end of the strip, and the power supply and the CAT6 feed into the P-Link injector, and you're able to get now control of your pixel strips. Okay, so you could do what you're doing because it's about 2,700 pixels with a Pixelator Mini. Okay, so the Pixelator Mini is about $800. So let's type that in going to keep track here on the calculator. So that's about $800. Then you're going to get P-Link injectors. And again, you know, call Entech, call, you know, a dealer to get a package price on this because you can probably do better if you talk to somebody, okay? So let's look at a P-Link injector now, Shiva. So a P-Link injector from Entech, we just read their website. Um, it's much easier to, to navigate now. But um, a P-Link injector, I think is $40, $60, something like that. We'll be there in just a minute. Um, so, Pixelator 800, P-Link injector. You'll need eight of those if you do eight strips of LED that you're controlling there. And you can keep the, the strips apart a little bit. Again, 
This is all discussed inside of Lawrence Stage Lighting Labs. It starts to get a little complex here. And a P-Link injector costs about $55. So let's say 55 times 8 is... Boop. Times 8. Fingers work. All right, that's how that works. 440 plus 800 is now 1240 plus your cost of whatever Pixel product you're using. Again, there's so many options with Pixel products out there. I, I don't know what you're going to be using. And so that's kind of hard to answer. Okay. And this is for pixels where every pixel is different, which is what you want if you're using um, a mapping program. Okay. So now let's go ahead and um, talk about the software. Okay. So you're talking about Mad Mapper. Um, I would also look at Entex LED Mapper software. Okay. It's called Elm. I'll type it in here so I have the link for you. And the cool thing about Elm that makes it a little different from Mad Mapper, just to throw the idea out there, just something else for you to look at, is they built it from the ground up to control LEDs. And so that means anything you can do with LEDs, you can draw out inside of Elm and map it really easily. And it's, it's to me, you know, I've tried all the programs, I've tried different media servers out. To me, it's really easy, and I was surprised how quickly I could learn it. And it's also not very expensive, okay? So you'd be doing around eight universes of DMX for your project. And that's about $250 US, I believe. Once the page loads, I can tell you. But, um, and so you really can't argue with that. You know, it's a little less expensive than MadMapper. And you can always stack your licenses and uh, do some different things later. MadMapper is a great piece of software. And, you know, maybe you're mapping projectors too which is something that Mad Mapper is designed to do and, and it does well. And, you know, if you're mapping projectors alongside of your LEDs, then okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, go ahead and use Mad Mapper. But if you're just doing LEDs and you're not mapping a projector, you know, you, you, you know even if you're just doing a single projector and you're pointing it at something and you don't need sophisticated mapping controls, you know, you could still technically, you know, sort of use that with Elm and just play that out of, you know, a media server and Elm, you know, use that for the pixels. But the cool thing about Elm is, you know, they really did design it. Oh, no, it's 16 universes for $250. So you'd be more than good. Um, the cool thing about Elm is that it's just, you know, like I said, they designed it from the ground up for pixels. So, you know, whether you go ahead, it's like, you know, with this package, hardware-wise, without your pixels, the hardware and the software, it's about $1,500. You know, you spend a couple hundred dollars on Cat6. You know, you buy some power supplies for, you know, 100 or two more bucks. And you're you're under 2000 bucks to get this done, which is pretty cool. Um, then you add your pixels in, you know, it might be a few more thousand. It, it really depends what you do. And that's the tough part, Shiva, is I don't have a lot of information here. But to kind of wrap this up, um, basically... What I want to do is just, you know, help you and enable you to figure out um, what's going to work best for you. So so those are definitely some options there. If you do need more help, Shiva, um, I would definitely go ahead and uh, check out, you know, Entech stuff and check out Learn Stage Lighting Labs if you need more help. I'd be glad to help you there. Um, also, if you are using an all Entech system, um, their customer support is always glad to help people out. And uh, you can email them through their website and they'll reach out to you as well. So all, all kinds of great options there, Shiva. Let's talk to 
our next person talk about our next question. Ken writes in, um, you have some LED lights um, or you have some traditional park hands and you want to change them to LED movers and, and, and LED washes. You've got power to them, but they're plugged into a dimmer. Um, and so where should he start? Okay. So this is, this is pretty easy, um, Ken. Oh, and you want to know about visualization as well. So the first thing, Ken, that you asked is uh, about, you know, changing conventional lights to LEDs. And, and like you found, okay, this is pretty simple. So what you're going to do is you're going to pull that dimmer out of there. You don't want to plug the LEDs into the dimmer pack and just plug that stuff into regular power. Okay. You know, do the math, um, you know, figure out how much power each light needs and how much you can put on one circuit. With LEDs, you can generally put a lot of lights on one circuit. So that makes things pretty simple. All right. Then you've got to get DMX to your stage because you said your dimmer is next to the DMX controller at front of house. So you need to run a DMX cable. And I'll also include a link in the show notes about running DMX over Cat5 cable. Okay. Because when you are in a church situation, you know, and you've got it installed for the in the wall portion of the cable, I would run it as Cat5 or Cat6. Okay instead of um instead of running a dmx cable that far because it's going to be less expensive and you know for an install in a wall that's the perfect thing okay and then you'll you'll get that dmx to the stage you'll use some some dmx adapters i'll link to those as well in the show notes um to get just to get the dmx plug uh three pin or five pin to the ethernet plug you have just a basic cable adapter they're really inexpensive and then ken you're gonna go to the first light go to the dmx in and then go to the DMX out of that one to the next light and so on and so forth. You wire them all together. You set the addresses to where you want them to sit on your console. Again, this is going to be kind of specific to what you're doing. Um, if you need more help, check out Learn Stage Lighting Labs, of course. And um, and then you'll be good to go. You'll be able to get control of your stuff and start working with them. Now, you ask about recommending a software to show your team what it will look like when I'm done. So... I get a lot of questions about visualizers. I'm going to refer you to a post on learn stage lighting. But the basic thing is that while there's some demos of some visualizers out there, Ken, an actual visualizer is, um, as the people that develop them tell me, is very expensive to make. They're very difficult um, in order. They're very difficult to make, okay? And so, you know what? The people tell me that make the visualizers is basically there's no free lunch. There's no cheap way to do this. And for your kind of small setup, it's probably not going to be cost effective. Um, so, you know, take a look at that post and read about the options there. But, you know, there are some sort of free options that could possibly work for you. So just read the post and that should help you. Ken, Donald wrote in and said, oh, David, I saw your videos and the Light Shark. Um, you have a Light Shark, and you want to get Capture to work with your Light Shark LS1. Any ideas? Okay, Donald. So here's what I found about the uh, Light Shark and Capture. So two things. One, um, you may have a networking problem. You know, I don't know if you've used Capture before with other things, and if you've configured it. Um, they have. You know, it's in the user manual how to configure an incoming stream of SACN, which is what you're going to want to use. You're going to want to enable that in your Light Sharks menu and uh, use that inside Capture. But, you know, you got to, there, there's kind of the networking layer and then the actual Light Shark layer and then the Capture layer. Okay. These three things. So you want to set up Capture with your networking 
um, coming out of the back of your light shark. Okay, not wirelessly. The light shark isn't going to send the the SACN, the network DMX signal, out the back of the console, or it's not going to send it through its antenna, through its uh, wireless. You need to come out of the back of the console, wire into your computer for capture. Okay, then get that set up. First, you know, do that on a tablet or another computer. Don't run at first, at least when you're first getting it set up, just so you don't get confused. Only run capture on the computer. Don't run the Light Shark uh, interface for control as well. And the reason I say that is it's just easy to get confused. Then what I like to do is I've had trouble, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not an IT professional. I know a good bit about networking, but I'm not the end-all be-all for sure, okay? And so what I've found is I can get the uh, control interface to work over the Ethernet at the same time as Capture, but it takes a lot of fiddling and figuring out. What I found is a lot easier is just control the light shark through the wireless interface on a tablet, another computer, whatever, and then control the um, capture via wired. I've even hooked up on my PC here, just out of pure laziness, hooked up my, my computer to the light shark via wireless and via the wired. And then I configure capture to use the wired, and uh, I configure the um, computer, the web browser, to be on the wireless, and then I can get control and use capture through the two network interfaces. Again, you know, it's it's not super complex, but networking can be frustrating. It can be kind of like banging your head against the wall until you get the settings right. Um, you got to make sure the IP addresses are in the same range. So if the light shark is uh, the light shark does do DHCP, so just set the uh, computer to get the IP address automatically from the light shark. Okay, once you've got it hooked up, then look at the network DMX interface. Uh, on the light shark, there's a screen for that in the menu where you turn on the SACN and then there's a network screen. See what the IP address is that it's sending out. It'll probably be like 2.0.0. something, I think. And uh, if I'm remembering this correct in my brain. And then set your computer to be in that same range. You know, if it's 2.0.0.1, set your computer to be 2.0.0.2. And then, you know, set your subnet masks again, 255.0.0.0 should be fine for two computers that are just hooked together for a network cable. And then you should be good to go. One other thing I would like to note, though, is um, Capture likes to see the network information there when it boots up. So configure it all in the light shark, have it sending out, have it hooked up to the computer, sending out SACN live and active before you launch Capture, because um, I find it's easier to configure when you've done it that way. So Donald, those are some tips for you. Um, again, you know, inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, we could go deeper if that's something you're interested in. But um, as for here on the show, that's about all I've got time to cover. Now, similarly, last question here. Kimberly asks, can you tell me how to purchase projectors and do computer mapping? Okay, Kimberly. So this is a little bit out of um, what I do, but I'll link, I'll find an article. I'll link to an article um, for you about projection mapping from my friends at Triple Wide Media. Okay. Because what you're basically trying to do is buy some projectors and project them and then map those to your room. And that's very much kind of a video thing and not something I specialize in. So I'm going to link to actually a really great page here from Triple Wide Media called What is Environmental? Environmental Projection. Okay. And it's just going to talk through how to get started, what kind of tools you need, what kind of projectors you need, and all that stuff so that you know what 
to do there. Okay. So um, that'll give you that information there. Again, you know, not something video projectors is not something I specialize in. And so I don't want to lead you the wrong way there, but I do want to help you out. So definitely check that out and uh, make sure you have a great day today. Um, again, you know, I say that to all you guys because I absolutely love doing this. And, uh, you know, this past 40 minutes has been a lot of fun, um, you know, recording this show for you. And so, you know, I love what I'm doing here. I love helping you guys. And I hope you've gotten something out of this. And if you have, you know, go over to uh, learnstagelighting.com slash iTunes. Click through to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review of the show. Okay. So that the show can gain popularity so that more people can find about it. And I hope I've earned five stars from you as well. Please leave that rating there so that more people can find out about the show. With that, guys, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited because next week I'm going to be talking about what, how do I decide what to do with the lights at a given moment in the show or service, okay? What do I do? How do I decide what to do next with the lights, Okay. Because you're in that live show setting, you're running lights live, and you say, what do I do next? And I'm going to walk you through what I think about, how I decide what to do next to make a really great show happen. So you're going to be getting that next week. Be sure to rate and review, and I'll see you guys next week. And that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. Be sure to visit us at LearnStageLighting.com to see show notes, past episodes, and download a free guide on how to begin with lighting in your specific context. I'll see you guys on the site. Thanks. Thanks.